Welcome to the Parenting Breakdown. I'm your host, Rachel. And I'm your co-host, Matt. And this week, we are going to be exploring a listener question that really gets to the heart of the work that I do in my day job, which is as a consultant to some of the most competitive schools in the country, a job that I would never have predicted for myself when I was in social work school. Yeah, what did you think Um, was going to happen? Many, well, I became a social worker because I was always thinking about power dynamics and injustice and I worked with kids in different settings, like in group homes and foster care. And that's where I thought I would always be in marginalized communities and under-resourced schools. And then I took a hard turn after another layoff in the nonprofit world and ended up at some of the most high pressure private schools in the country. That must have been a real jarring jump then from going from... Yeah, I had never set foot in a New York City private school, but a colleague of mine who we'll have on the pod soon as a guest, Dr. Jordan Wright, sent me an article from the late Sunya Luthar, who I've mentioned in the past, about studies that showed that the rates of stress and anxiety and depression and substance use and rule-breaking behaviors were like three to five times the rates of kids that were not attending these high-achieving affluent schools. And was all about perfectionism and urgency and issues that I had been really examining within myself Mm. as part of my anti-racism journey. So it all was coming together. Wow. And that that led me on this path. Yeah. Well, it's funny when you say that because I feel like being wealthy and successful and like having fancy stuff is like really what we're bombarded with every day, even before social media, but now sure. even more so. I mean, I feel like our 10-year-old watches YouTube videos about right. the most fanciest well, the Apple Vision Pro. The, yeah, like all these things, right? Yeah. Um, and you think, oh man, if I just get to that point. Sure, well, right? there's like, the that's it. American dream. Right, yeah. right. That's where I want to be. And so it's interesting. And yeah. then as soon as you start yeah. talking, you're like, oh yeah, of course, there's probably. Right. And of course, and just personally speaking, I grew up in New York City and went to some of these schools. Exact schools as a kid and Mm -hmm. in in high school, I went to a a public school, but it was super high intense, super pressure filled. And so I can totally relate to all the, I haven't never got the money, but I certainly (laughs) relate to all the feelings of being, feeling terrible in those places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. One of the things I always thought was really interesting with Dr. Luthar's research was that she discovered this data by accident because she was looking at substance use rates in a marginalized community of color. And she used a mostly white affluent suburban school as a control group. Oh, wow. And then the rates were like so much higher there. And she's, this is interesting. And kept doing it again and seeing the same thing. Wow. That the rates in in these privileged communities were so much higher. I think that was like counterintuitive data points are always like. Really interesting. Yeah. That culture was driving these kids. Right. Into really negative behaviors. Is. Yeah. Yes. It hasn't changed. Right. Didn't solve all of it. I think certainly there's a lot more awareness, but. My work has been all about why. What's that about? What are the driving forces? What are the risk factors? And so our question for today gets into that. Yeah. Because a parent wrote in and said that their child is in elementary school, attending one of the high pressure schools that I discuss in the podcast. 
and they're really trying to stay grounded, but they see other parents of first and second graders getting really worried about whether their kid is on track toward the Ivies. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. In first yeah. and second grade. Oh, yeah. On I track mean, towards the Ivies? Yeah. College. Ivy League colleges. Okay, got it. Wow. And this person is saying, I want my child to achieve and have opportunities, but I don't want to get caught up in that. And I'm feeling overwhelmed. So good question. Yeah, great question. And these are the people that tend to come to my workshops. Right. People that, well, A, are like concerned about kids' mental, emotional health. Yeah. Uh, and also parents that are feeling like, ooh, there's, I can tell that this grind culture is maybe not working for everybody. Now, my my guess would be that there are a lot more parents that on some level feel that this grind culture isn't working for them yes. than actually show up at these of course. things. Well, right? yes, because they're too busy grinding. It's hard to make the yeah, time to pause. Right. Um, I know it from actually experiencing as a student mm-hmm. what that grind is. I went to this magnet school. Yeah. How intense the pressure was for me to succeed at all costs, yeah. regardless of my own mental health or anything. Right. Well, that's what it's about. One of the main risk factors that we talk about is that kids in these high achieving communities can develop a sense of what's called contingent self-worth. Okay. Which is the message that their sense of their value as a person is contingent upon them achieving these external markers of success. That the closer that they map onto this narrow image of what success looks like, that determines their value. And that means if your value is always determined by external markers of success, what you look like, what you're wearing, what your grades are, what you're doing, sports, like all of those external things, you can never stop because there's always the next thing you have to prove. Well, you know what? It's funny when you're saying that, and again, and just harking back to my own experience in this world, which again was a little bit different because, you know, my mom was a school teacher and my dad was a, you know, a freelancer before there was such a thing. (laughs) And my experience when I was able to succeed wasn't of happiness, but it was of relief, Mm. right? And it was like... Temporary relief, I would imagine. Yeah. Then there's the next Totally, right? And it's like, and it's a strange thing. I don't know how much we talk about it where it's like, I got into the school of my choice for college and it was happiness, but it was really just more, okay, now whatever that part of my brain that was going to be like, are you a total fuck up? No. Right. Okay, good. Right. You proved to yourself. Now, right. Yeah, what's then, the next thing? Right. Yeah. Then, right. And then. Right. Well, Adrian Marie Brown, who's an amazing writer and facilitator and thought leader, she talks about this idea of being satisfiable. Yeah. Are you satisfiable? And the cultural context of high achieving schools is inherently an unsatisfiable culture, yeah. right? The, the system runs on our dissatisfaction and our lack yeah. of being satisfiable. And that's part of what grind culture looks like too. And yeah. if nothing satisfies us as parents and we are feeling like our main job is to get them down this narrow path of success to the Ivies, and we're supposed to be planning for that by the time they're what? Right. Well, maybe one, two, whatever, right? Then of course, you can't take in what the achievements actually are because you're just having to prove the next one. Well, and that actually does come back to the coaching work that I do with Mm -hmm. executives. Yeah, I I remember talking to someone 
who was really prominent, who told me that all they really wanted for a long time in life was to have a feature about them written in the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And then they got the feature written about the New York Times. And then they felt totally hollow because mm. they got the praise, which felt nice. Yeah. And then it really felt like, what's next? What's right. now? Right. Like it didn't actually fill the space. It didn't fill the void. No, it doesn't. Because the void's never going to be filled by those external things. And that way of operating in our system goes way beyond the most right elite, uh, quote unquote, schools. Like yeah. it trickles down everywhere an administrator at one of the very elite private schools in New York City was joking with me the other day of really wanting to have parents come to a workshop and they have a lot of things going on. How do you get them to come? And she said, like, maybe if we call it how to create the perfect child. There you go. (laughs) That would be amazing. Right. Can I sign up? Yeah. That would be good. It's such a sad thing, right? Because we're all caught up in the total fallacy that this is what it means to be a good parent. And then parents come to me because the the culture is not feeling good to them or because their kid's in total crisis or is about right, to right. burn out, right? Sure, I have parents sure. that are like, yeah, see I see it on the horizon. Yeah. My kid is overworking. My right, kid is stressed. Right. My kid is has an eating disorder. My kid is binge drinking. Everything and anything that their child is doing that it tells them this isn't working for my kid. And this is where our own power to create something different comes up as parents. Well, this kind of reminds me of 90% of the people I know that end up becoming lawyers and then hate actually right. being lawyers. Right. Well, Because right. it's this idea in your mind of like, I'll be a lawyer. And it's no, actually, the reality of the life and the grind is far different to get to these cultural markers that you're talking about. Right. Well, and in that New York Magazine article, they talk about how like the majority of the kids want to go into business, right? And what are we losing when we are raising kids to really push them into this mold? We're losing, so we're certainly losing any kids like our little guy, any neurodivergent kids who are brilliant and think outside of the box and stray off the path who we need those kids. My God. Gosh, right? Yeah. We're certainly losing yeah. them. When he invents the time machine that we all use, <laughs> we'll be thankful that uh, yeah. you know, he didn't actually yeah. line up everybody else. Right. Well, that's the thing. The stats are depressing. There's a lot of suffering happening with kids and with parents, and it's not going to stop for us. So that's what my offer is to parents yeah. when I do my workshops. I really... I try to slow it down. We do some mindfulness practices because our bodies are in the pace of that grind culture and we will not have the room to breathe, to notice, to pay attention to who our kids are and see them if we're caught in that energy. So there's an energetic shift that we have to make if we want to... As parents. As parents, that's right. There's also some... The energetic shift meaning like how you're showing up for your kids. What are your conversations at the dinner table are like? What are you? Well, that all follows the energetic shift. Oh, so what's I the energetic shift too? Is what is our pace during the day? What is our focus? How are we showing up in ourselves, in our own right. bodies? Well, this is a real question though, because I have clients that are so busy. Yes. That even though I know that they know that this is not a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. They can't let it go, right? They, yeah. they can't seem to figure yeah. it out. And then they feel bad about themselves. They can't figure it out. And they're right. so underwater. 
And I think that there's a sort of an attraction to that sure. being that busy, but also that's miserable. Yes. Like they yeah. don't seem so happy. Yeah. We can't always just be like, I'm going to opt out of the busyness, right. right? Like we have jobs, we have right. expectations, we're parents, we have yeah. a, but can but can we shift how we're showing up within the busyness at points, uh, right? right? And that's what yeah. mindful parenting is really about is not waiting for some like retreat weekend to slow down because yeah. you're not going to do it. Even then you'll probably be like checking your email right, on the right. retreat, whatever. But is like, how do we take a moment throughout the day to ground our energy, to notice where am I? Who am I with? Oh, I'd like to be present, and how do we practice doing yeah. that? Because that's the foundation for being able to be a little more discerning. Yeah. We can't be discerning of, should I sign my kid up for this extra class? All the decisions that we're making, if we're making them on autopilot, then we're probably not being very discerning. Yeah. So that's the energetic shift. Yeah. And then I always ask parents about what are they parenting in service of? What is their mm. big why? Yeah. Meaning... What is most important to you as a parent? And I invite folks listening to think about this. It's like a hard you, question. It is a hard question. And I think, I, I think it starts out like in best case scenario, you feel a desire to, to bring a child into this world mm -hmm. because you really want to have the experience of parenthood. Mm -hmm. and in then, best case scenario, there's a choice. You're there's saying, a choice. Uh -huh, sure. And then once they're here mm -hmm. and then you'll do awesome, fun things and feel <laughs> they'll help fill your cup and you'll teach them things and feel right. great. And, and then they don't latch and you're like, you're already failing. Yeah. So there's some work to be done that is like, why am I doing this? Whole, what actually matters? Yeah. What am I parenting in service of? Because parenting has always been about socialization. We are socializing the next generation into the world, right? So we can do that in a lot of different ways. And what are we trying to pass on? And what are we trying to not recreate? I ask parents this all the time. And within 60 seconds, people come up with beautiful things, bring more kindness and empathy into the world. My kid accepting who they are and being able to accept others, all these wonderful things. And then we look at the research around what kids say is most important to their parents and it's homework and grades and acceptance letters. And Oof. right, there is a disconnect. And that disconnect is with what actually matters to us when we slow down and what our daily life pulls us into being in service of, which is the grind. How do we start to reconnect with what actually matters? And that might mean making decisions that are hard, straying from the path a little bit, because being worried about if your kid's going to an Ivy by first grade, like what's that about, yeah. right? You don't even know what kind of environment's going to work right. for your kid, right. right? Why is the Ivy in the end? Why is that even important? Yeah. Well, what do you think about that? As someone who was in these communities for your whole life, basically. Yeah. It feels like there's no choice. It feels like that is the de facto thing. And if folks went to less prestigious schools, there was like, oh, and, right. and I just, I, I wish so much that I had been in a place where I could have made different choices at then because I don't think that I was servicing decisions that were actually aligned with my values. Even then, yeah. I think I was servicing what I thought the world wanted me to be or what I thought that, and really not 
in tune. And again, and I don't know how many 18 year olds are really in sure. tune with themselves, but there wasn't even the space right. to even pay at lip service. Right. right. It was just more go for it. And then I went to this like very prestigious liberal arts college, but it, that didn't make me feel great. I felt incredibly depressed right, um, right. for, you know, a good while I was there until I ended up finding all, your people. Yeah. And then yeah. going abroad, whatever, and having right. other experiences right outside this one. Well, particularly. And I think, and, and I will say that my school that I went to, which is a, it was a private liberal arts college in the Northeast was a feeder school for all these right. really elite schools. Yep. So all the people there we're just bringing that same more of that same energy. So it yeah. was like, I was set up from the start. It wasn't going to be the right place. And as great as like, it may have been on paper or it may have right. like sounded. There was something about the culture of the institution that was chilly, that wasn't friendly, that was yeah. perfectionistic in its own way that I just, I always constantly felt like, are you my mother? That classic <laughs> Look, I just. <laughs> I like, can fully see you in that role. Yeah. yeah. Could not figure it out. For, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it gets back to the the curated version of ourselves that this yeah. culture requires people to present because, yeah, it takes away a lot of the vulnerability. You're describing the second tier schools and people being like, oh, that's it, right. Well, There's I don't even think, to be honest, and, and this, let's be clear about this, that it was never even explicit. No one ever was of course. Like, it was all just, you just knew it. Yes, and that's why this kind of, grind achievement culture is it is inherently tied to the neurotypicality is inherently tied to white dominant culture because thing that is seen as a little bit off that path whether it's a school or it's a diagnosis or it's a way someone shows up in the world is registered so quickly as either oh yeah you're one of us and you're on this and you're in this world or you're different you're right. other right it's a very othering thing yeah. because the goal is conformity yeah and that goal is producing misery yeah for kids yeah is this really what we want in the next generation of people that are being positioned as leaders leaders yeah and who gets left out of being seen as leaders yeah. our kids get again squished into these boxes and difference becomes a deficit yeah right i really like that difference becomes a deficit oh your kid has an iep deficit right then again yeah. no one's gonna say it yeah. out loud there's so many assumptions that so yeah. you're the one with the kid with the iep and then you're like don't tell me what my kid can do yeah of course so when it comes to what parents can do it's really getting clear on your values and then looking at how is that showing up or not in your decisions in your relationship and reclaiming some energy to make choices to make choices i think so many people walk around feeling that way that you felt like they can't be their true selves walking around feeling limited and restricted and anxious and depressed, right? Well, thank God that I was able to have an experience in college when I went to a place and was able to be embraced yeah. for who I was. And it took me to go into South Africa right. to see that where I was like, wait, maybe I'm not flawed. Maybe I'm right. not actually fucked up here. Maybe right. this place that I'm at is actually the thing that's the issue and not me. You know? Right, right. And that was a, just a gift to right. have. What you just said that's really important, Matt, is that you got the message that who you are is flawed right. if you are not living up to these standards. Yeah. So it's our work. That's it's our, our work. work as parents yeah. to look at those standards, 
spend some time with how they make us feel. Even though it feels like you might not have a choice, you do have a choice in how you want to relate to it and certainly how you want to have your kids relate to it. Yeah. And that all starts with we got to learn how to see it for what it is. Right. And that takes slowing down, lifting the veil a little bit on what are the things that fuel our parental anxiety? What are the things that fuel kids challenges? And there's a lot of things under that. But certainly one of the things that fuels that for all of us is this kind of grind culture that trickles down and out from these types of institutions. They are the belly of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to us today. As always, you can reach us at parentingbreakdown at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions. And now we're going to head to our next segments, which are parenting uh, highlights of the week and our parenting pivots. Great. We're about to jump into our next segment of parenting pivots and parenting highlights. And Rach and I were chatting about this earlier, and we'd really love to hear from folks share their own stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. As our whole hope with this podcast is that it really normalizes the complexity of parenting in this moment in our culture. So yeah, we'd love to hear your stories. We'd love to hear the mess that happened last night. We certainly always have our own mess that's happening. And you can share it with your name you'd like to read. It could be your name. It could be a, the, a you've, if you've always wanted a pseudonym, here's your opportunity. <laughs> what do you got for us, Rich? My highlight was actually the other night when we were watching a Knicks game which is a regular occurrence in our home because you and the big guy are huge sports fans. We were watching the game and they were not passing very well. And our big guy was like, oh, God, they're not passing well. Like the Liberty passed so much better. And that's true. (laughs) And you were like, that's true. And it was just an everyday moment went by. We kept watching frustration about the Knicks and Yes, it's very Tom frustrating Thibodeau's to watch. face constantly being there just... There you go, <laughs> very good. So. <laughs> so the reason that was a highlight for me, and it was just a little moment I wanted to call out, is because our big guy calling to his mind the superiority of the Liberty's passing game is built upon him really knowing how the Liberty play and him understanding women's sports a little bit, right? Yeah. And you yeah, we have, went to a Liberty game last year. And you've been very intentional with part of an agreement that we've made in our coupling and in our parenting is a commitment to talking about gender equity, racial equity, right? Mm. To really have that be a live dynamic experience in our home to acknowledge marginalization historically in different areas and including sports, right? And sports is a great area because he's so interested in it. And so just the fact that you have been really intentional about the two of you watching women's sports, the two of you talking about why when you grew up, right, you weren't watching women's sports. Well, they sports. didn't even, WNBA didn't exist. Right, WNBA didn't exist. And certainly the stereotypes about women not being as athletic yeah. or as able to compete in the same yeah. ways, right, which we all know is bullshit. And it does take intentionality. And I think all the times that I have been like, have a deep conversation with him about this, which I often want you to do because I think it's much more powerful and research shows too that it's much more powerful coming from you as a man to talk with him about sexism 
and marginalization. I feel like your approach has always been really not heavy handed. Right. Well, it certainly never works. I don't think ever (laughs) screaming at someone to have a deep conversation about something. I don't think creates the environment where people learn or want. Right. Just creates kind of shame. Right. Yeah. And and for me, figuring out something that's organic in the process has been great. And so obviously the fact that the Liberty, which are the WNBA team here in New York City, are amazing. Mm -hmm. And again, our son, he likes teams that win. (laughs) So he's really happy to be a part of that experience. And obviously it was in any situation when you're trying to talk about something in an inauthentic way, just to make a point. Yeah, it always is going to feel like it's lecturing or heavy handed. Well, and what feels authentic to me is really belaboring the point. (laughs) Uh Well, that's a good, well, that's fair. Which is why it's, we're in a a hetero couple and we're aligned on these things. And so I have the privilege of being able to see that, okay, I'm getting a little heated here, like wanting him to really see sexism in play and that right. I can take a step back. And, and now do I'll it. say that our because we've had these conversations, all of us, yeah. our big guy calls out sexism all the time, yeah. not just in sports, but yeah. just in general, because yeah. it's part of now like a framework where right. she sees things. Yeah. Right? yeah. And certainly in politics and all the ways that exist in the world. Yeah. And so it's there not are many. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's great to be able to encourage this and also great to do it in a way that feels authentic. Yeah, totally. And, and I think if, if we were like, we can only watch the Liberty, we can no longer watch men's sports sure that of course would, that would not be good or helpful right or, or if you were like testing him on it just to see if he's really noticing right. sexism right. right it has to be right part of the constant conversations that we have to have yeah yeah and he's got his own path and he's gonna go through his own journey yeah. around understanding the world but i think we have been really conscious of trying to not have it him learning about Who's been historically excluded, that not being a shaming experience for him as a white boy, but being an accountable experience, like something that he notices and he can see, but does not feel shame around. Because I think, like you were saying before, I think shame often leads to shutting down and not internalizing all this. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. What do you have for us for terms of pivot? Yeah. Okay. For pivot, not my best moment is what we'll talk about. And I know it really had an impact on you. Well, it's usually these pivots are usually me roasting myself. So I'm very happy. Now you can roast me. Ah, well, I'll just watch you roast yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So the pivot or the lesson learned teachable moment was Monday evening, a long weekend. And I had been with a little guy in the morning and you were with him in the afternoon and he was hanging in, but like we've shared a little bit in these last couple episodes, he is going through a pretty hard moment right now. He's a little on edge due to recent illnesses and changes. And so I really wanted to take a walk because it was finally not freezing. So I took a walk. I came back, saw our neighbor and some kids and we were chatting out front. All the kids were playing and I just really wanted him to be part of it. And so I poked my head in and said, can he come out and play? And you and little guy were chilling out, trying to relax. And you basically were like, no, I've been cooking dinner and it's almost dinner time and he, he just needs to relax. And I was like, okay, but I didn't actually listen to that at all. <laughs> so two seconds later, Rachel sticks her head and she's, have you seen the moon? And oh man, which I know is I mean, going to lure him out. Come on, who can resist 
the invitation to look at the moon and show it off at any time. Certainly not our. Well, it was uh, a nighttime yet. So it was like uh, being I, able to see the moon oh, while I the know. blue sky is oh, there. I know it was, it was, you couldn't have, you could have said there's a chocolate Sunday outside. Right. For him, it's and, the same. Yeah. yeah. So he was like, oh, I better get myself outside. Yeah. And he like peeled himself off the couch and very quickly started to run outside. And in, once he got outside, I was like, oh, yeah, Matt was yeah. totally right. He was very dysregulated. We saw the moon for one second. One second. And he was just like really excited, like running back and forth. Just very, very excited. And I just knew, oh, no, I, now it's going to be hard to get him back inside and get dinner and we were on a little bit of a schedule because we're trying to get him caught up with sleep anyway you came outside you were like dinner time yeah. he's i don't care i want to do science in the snow and when i'm like oh no i was so pissed <laughs> yeah it was well I, because it takes i think obviously it does take so much work it would take so much work to raise children and yeah. it takes even more work to raise kids that are neurodivergent. Yes. And I, I can say that because we have both. Yeah, and, we do. And so having a schedule sometimes is like the only saving grace. Mm. And I'm also someone that really, strangely, if you knew me, like I'm really pretty type A when it comes to schedules and yeah. being on schedule. And, and, I, and it actually not. is really helpful because especially for our younger son, like, really likes routine and really likes schedules. And we have yeah. to protect that for him. And yes, I had worked so hard. It was almost like bake. I made dinner, but it was also like I was making a whole mood. I was making a whole vibe. And mm, so yeah. to watch that just disappear in one second and then now have the next couple hours having a deal with the aftermath of it was was tough. Yeah. But we got through it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was, I very quickly realized that I hadn't taken it in, right? I had been out taking a walk and I had been happy to see our neighbor and have the kids in the front yard and just like having this kind of nice moment where it again, wasn't freezing and we're just having a nice neighborly Really moment. living the suburban dream. <laughs> and I wanted him to be part of it, but my desire to have an easy kind of moment. It was like the fantasy versus the reality. In my mind, I wanted him to come out and everybody could play for a little bit and we could have this nice pre-evening moment and then we could go back in and start the routine. And that's not the reality no. of what he needs. No. So I felt really badly because he came in back in and he was very hyped and you were very mad. And I realized the error of my ways and... Uh, then was really trying to help him calm. He had seen the moon. He had gone outside. Now he, all he wanted to do was experiments outside. And so sure. it was pushing everything back and leading to lots of tough Once you see the feelings. moon, dinner feels <laughs> a minor. So there was getting him to bed that needed to happen. And then there was repairing between, between me and you sure. that needed to happen. Uh, I needed to be accountable yes. to the fact that yes. you had created a yes. mood, you had made dinner, you yes. had been really yes. intentional, yes. and I was being very yes. spontaneous, right? And there's nothing wrong with being spontaneous, but it was not the appropriate yes. and helpful thing to do yes. in that moment. Yes. And you needed me to be accountable to yes. that. Exactly. And you were. And yeah. again, I wasn't walking around mad with a capital M. It just was feeling frustrated and of course. a little bit out of my control. But at the end of the day, he did go to sleep. We did get him down. We were able to talk and we yeah. lived to see another day. 
<laughs> That's very true. We right? did. Yes. And we're, we're still here. And yeah, it's all about choices, right? And sometimes we don't make the best choices and then we can yeah. make choices to repair. Totally. Well, listen, this is a never ending journey and we will continue to, to live and learn as we go live on. And, and if folks are listening, I hope that you can see some of yourselves in these conversations. Obviously, that's the point just to universalize these experiences where everyone's trying their best. No one's yep. coming at this from with negative intentions. And it's just making sense of the mess and making it through and trying to keep a sense of humor. And as do it. there are highs and lows during each week. And so I think that's another reason of us trying to point out highlights and lessons yeah. learned because some weeks it can be really hard to remember the highlights. Yeah. So yeah, share, share those with yeah. us. We want to hear them. Yeah. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning if in. If you're liking what you're hearing, feel free to give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts because that does something to the algorithm <laughs> that we want. Yeah. And please share with your friends and folks that you think might be into this. Parenting Breakdown is a Clamor Audio production distributed by the Cloud 10 Network. Hosted and executive produced by me, Rachel Hennis. And me, Matt Borden. Executive produced by Aaron Hilliard. Clamor General Manager, Rich Statter. Associate Producer, Ethan Aronson. Post-production supervised by Devin Ruskin. Production Assistant, Samara Mullick. Special thanks to Sim Sarna and Saiba Krieger at Cloud 10. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.